Digital Audio Health by Cymatrax. Welcome to the Rhonda Grant Show with your host, Rhonda Grant. If you believe that there is more to life than what you see right now and you want to find out more, listen in as her guests share their journey and their extraordinary experiences. Now, here is your host, Rhonda Grant. Welcome to the Rhonda Grant Show, Alan. Well, thank you for having me as your guest, Rhonda. It's my pleasure. I'm excited to talk to you about the business that you're in. Can you remember a time when you first knew that you wanted to help people? Yes. And I can tell you a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um, I was somewhere around seven or eight years of age. And I was sitting in a room outside of my parents' kitchen. And I heard my parents talking. And my father was telling my mother that one of our relatives was coming over. He said, well, she has a problem, and I'm going to talk to her and see if I can help her. And when I heard him say that, I immediately thought, that's what I want to do. I want to help people to solve their problems. Then I was in in what's so-called grammar school at that point. Mm -hmm. And when I would come home for lunch, I would watch a TV show who was helping clients. I'm sure it wasn't really happening. It was all staged. But when the therapist was talking to the clients, I remember thinking to myself, how does that therapist know what questions to ask? I want to learn how to do that. I want to do that someday. And mm-hmm. that's that's pretty much when I made up my mind of what, and I didn't know specifically what I'd be doing, but I knew that I wanted to help people in that way. Mm-hmm. And so what set you on your track then? I mean- well, actually, it, it was a situation that I, I believe that I've had a lot of fortuitous or lucky situations in my life. So okay. basically, to answer your question, yeah. um, I was in college at one point and I flunked out. Yeah. And I was close with my cousin. And I ended up getting accepted into the college that he graduated from. And I remember having a conversation with him and asking him, you know, I don't know what I should major in. Like, you know, what are you majoring in college? And he because uh-huh. I was I was majoring in liberal arts, but I thought there would be more to it than that. And he mm-hmm. said, well, I majored in sociology. Why don't you major in sociology? You know, that's something that sounds like you would something you'd enjoy. Mm-hmm. And that's what formally got me started in the direction that I'm in today. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, uh, the journey usually is never easy to get to where you're going. What sort of obstacles did you have along the way? Well, the first obstacle was flunking out of college. Yes. The second obstacle, I won't number them all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the second obstacle was the college that I applied to after I flunked out of that first college. They didn't know if I could really do the work. So they mm-hmm. put me they they put me in night school. 
and gave me the classes that I either failed or got a D in to see if I could pass those classes. So I did. In fact, interestingly enough, I went from flunking out of college to getting grades that were on a roll level. Right. So, so that's, that was some of the obstacles that I faced. Mm-hmm. Then um, I, I had difficult time finding a job right out of college, but I did eventually find one. And then I applied for a job while I had that job because I wanted to move on. Mm-hmm. And I told a friend of mine, and the friend applied for the same job that I did, and he got it. So that was another obstacle to overcome. I, I, I wanted to get a job. Yes. <laughs> so interestingly enough, I applied for the job he was leaving, and then I got that job. Then the next obstacle I faced was one of the main reasons I took that job was I liked the clinical director and I thought the clinical director could help me to learn what I needed to know so I could be the best version of myself. Okay. And very soon after I started working there, he quit. And the person who replaced him was not someone who I could get along with very well. Oh, that would be a challenge. That was a big challenge because... Um, she questioned everything. She was highly critical and judgmental. Mm. So my next challenge <laughs> was to find another job because there's no way I could I could work under her. It was impossible. Got a job as a counselor in a vocational high school. Yes. The principal <laughs> was very, very difficult to work for. He was the type of person mm-hmm. that if he called you into his office to talk to you, he would record it and not let you know he was doing that. Yeah, that's that might have been illegal. Yeah, I think it probably was. Yeah. So luckily, I got transferred into the night division of that yes. school. Okay. My challenge there <laughs> was the principal drank a lot. And at one point, he just turned on me. We went from having a very reasonable relationship to all of a sudden, he, he like he made up rumors about me and he spoke to the teachers and said I was saying things that I didn't say. Uh-huh. So obviously my challenge was to get out of there. Yes. So I got out of there and the what what ended up happening was I knew someone who who was working in a mental health clinic mm-hmm. and there was an opening there. So, so I ended up working there and the secretary knew of a college that was mm-hmm. local that was training marriage and family therapists. Yes. So I went there. My challenge there was I had some personal challenges So I had to take time off one or two times. But my other challenge was when I got to the dissertation level, the people, there were certain people on my committee. And every so often, one of them would quit. So I would have to find somebody else. So that delayed my getting the dissertation done. 
My next challenge was, we're almost done. <laughs> my next challenge was while I was doing my dissertation, I ruptured my Achilles tendon. Ooh. So I ended up living with my sister for a while. Of course, I was mm -hmm. on crutches. And I had to get a ride to the library whenever I could and work on the dissertation as often as I could. Right. And then that challenge continued. I was on crutches when I went for my defense of the dissertation. Uh-huh. And, you know, I've had other little challenges along the way, but those were the major challenges that I needed to overcome, mm -hmm. and I did. Well, I mean, most times our journey is a bit of a zigzag, right? Um, yes. There's not a lot of people that have a smooth journey. And, you know, the tenacity of the human spirit is very inspiring. You know, you knew what you wanted to do. And the universe, it looks like or sounds like we're putting these people in your way. To, and, and you just kept showing it over and over again that you had what it takes to uh, stick with it. So did you always work for somebody or did you start at one point? Did you start out on your own? Did you are you an entrepreneur? Yes. Um, several, uh -huh. year, several years ago, I started a private practice when I was living in New Jersey. Uh huh. Um, and and then it became too much for me with the job, the, the full time job I had. Oh yes, so, yeah. So I I let that go and I continued to work full time, and then I moved to Arizona when I I still worked for somebody there, mm -hmm. and then when I moved to Texas, I did work for a hospital for a while. And then I left that job and started the private practice that I'm in today. Mm -hmm. And so do you enjoy your private practice over uh, the institutions that you worked for along the way? Well, I would say I enjoyed both for different reasons. Uh -huh. I enjoyed working for the institutions because I like being around people. Yeah. And and one of the jobs I had was I was clinical supervisor in an outpatient drug and alcohol clinic. Okay. So I enjoyed helping other counselors to improve what they were doing. Okay. Um I also obviously I enjoyed the steady salary. <laughs> and I and I also enjoyed the structure. In yes. terms of the private practice, I enjoyed the freedom. And I enjoy the opportunity to meet so many different people and I can do different things in a private practice. So, for example, there have been times where I've given talks when I was working for somebody. I didn't have that much freedom because mm -hmm. I needed to be at the where I was working. Exactly. Uh-huh. Whereas today you can schedule an interview as one of your appointments, basically. Yes. Right. And a golf game in the morning or the afternoon, yeah. if you if you like to golf. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know a, an entrepreneur. It's it's long can be long hours, but the freedom. Myself, I enjoy the freedom of my life. I get up when I want to. I work when I want to, and I vacation when I want to, and I don't have to ask anybody. I just asked if my pocketbook is, is big enough that I can, you know, but uh, I really enjoy the entrepreneurship 
And so, but I mean, it's a risk, eh? You have to have a lot of confidence in yourself that you're going to make it happen. And sometimes keeping that full-time job and, and starting your practice until you build it up is a safety net. So if it doesn't work out, if you don't have enough clients, then you still have your full, full-time full job. But the interaction of other human beings, <laughs> there's a lot to be said for that. I love to get together with my my friends just to go to dinner, just to maybe have lunch together during the day. How about you? Do you like to just get together with other people so that you don't feel so isolated? Yes, Definitely. I definitely enjoy being with people. And like you said, whether it's going for dinner or just getting together and having a chat, yeah, it, it, it really contributes to a nice balance of like what you're saying, the so-called isolation of being in private practice. Yeah, because a lot of entrepreneurs are pretty much addicted to what they do. I mean, they're working, 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 and they put their head up and, you know, four or five hours have passed and they you don't even realize that that's, that's what's happened. When we talk about your practice, is there any special memory or incident where you really felt that you had made a huge difference in some per- people's life? Or do you feel that way all the time? And is this your driving force? Well, I would say yes to both those questions. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, one, it's definitely a driving force. Yeah. I can't always know the extent of difference I've made in somebody's life. Right. But by focusing on my intention to have the most, be the most helpful to the person, that's definitely a driving force for me. Mm-hmm. And actually, I, I had an experience recently where I was not able to continue meeting with people for a short time. I had a health challenge. Mm-hmm. And when I started meeting with people again, there was a young woman that I met with. And As we were talking, she sort of got a look on her face, and I didn't quite understand what was happening. Uh And I said something to her, and she just, like, stopped. Mm -hmm. And I I hesitated, Mm because sometimes I have found that it's better, you know, give the person a chance to say what they're going to say. Don't keep pushing at it. Right. And then all of a sudden, she started to cry. And I said, oh, what's happening now? What's causing you to cry? Yeah. And she said, I don't want you to go away. She knew I had the health challenge, and she thought that maybe something really serious would happen. Oh, okay. So by her saying that, at that yeah. moment, I remember thinking exactly what you asked me. Wow, I must be making a really big difference for her. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. I almost started to cry. <laughs> it, well, it tugs at your heart. And... You know, from what I've heard is that people can really get attached to their counselors because it's the counselor that knows more than anybody else that they would ever tell. And so the trust level must be enormous. And to think that you were going to lose that, she was going to lose that with you, was overwhelming to her. What a tender time. Yes, yes. Yes. That's a very tender story. And did it make you feel just so humbled that your presence has means so much to her? 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And and especially because when we first started talking, the first session, yes. she had just an overall tense, angry demeanor. Um, because she was going through a lot. Yes. And as we continued talking over time, mm-hmm. her demeanor started to soften. Yes. But at that moment, she was so vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And and so, I mean, in a so-called indirect way, yes. what I heard her communicating to me was, you've really been helping me more than you could ever know. Mm-hmm. And from that point forward, she started making even bigger changes in her life. Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She just like took everything in and, and did it. And of course, mm-hmm. that really touched me because she's a young woman, very young. Yes. <laughs> and and she has young. a whole life ahead of her now. Mm-hmm. And the direction she was going, she was very, very unhappy. Yeah. And, and that, that's all shifted now. Mm-hmm. Well, it was her trust in you that allowed her that vulnerability. And when she was vulnerable, you responded in a way that helped her move forward. I mean, that's a gift. I mean, you were truly gifted. Yeah. And, was- I, and I can tell you one of the things that we first talked about that fit right into what you just said that contributed to mm-hmm. her being able to trust me. One of her first questions to me in her first counseling session mm-hmm. was, do you ever work with, with older adolescents? Mm-hmm. So I jokingly said, no, you're the first one. And she <laughs> she didn't know whether I was joking or not. <laughs> and I said, no, no, really, I'm, 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 I'm joking. I said, no, I said, no, I've, yes. I've worked with adolescents. And she said, and have you talked to them about this? And have you talked to them about that? I think that, gave her some initial reason to trust me that I had the experience and Um, I would understand what she was talking about. And then she would talk about something and she says, you know, what I'm saying to you is so stupid. You probably don't even want to hear it. And then I said to her, well, first of all, I don't think what you're telling me is stupid. Uh And second of all, you need to talk to me about it so you can get past the challenge that you're facing. Mm-hmm. And I think that also helped her to to trust me. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. That's that's a really really important story. Did you have another one that you can share with us? Yes, actually, I could. <laughs> there was a woman that I was counseling, um, mm-hmm. and and she was having relationship challenges, and one of her challenges was that she was not able to achieve sexual satisfaction. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I talked to her about was if she was willing to explore with me what she might be contributing to her not being able to have the satisfaction that she wanted. Mm -hmm. And she talked about how she doesn't trust men yeah. And, you know, she doesn't trust they're going to stay. There were several things that she didn't mm-hmm. trust. And I listened very carefully to her comment, I don't trust men. And what I said to her was, you know, I'm going to tell you something. 
And I want you to know I'm saying this from a purely professional point of view. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm going to tell you. Yeah. I said, I'm curious. Do you trust me? And she said, yes. And I said, and half jokingly, I'm going to say, I'm a man, right? Mm -hmm. She says, yeah. And she just like froze. That was like such an insightful moment for her. Oh, yes. She never thought of that. And very soon after that, whether it was the next counseling session or session, everything had shifted for her. She was dating somebody at the time. Yes. And everything shifted for her because she realized she could trust. It was a question of not trusting everybody. You have to see if you can trust. Yeah. And sometimes men and women continue to attract the same type of person to them, not re- and they don't even realize that they're doing it. But their friends might know, but they don't know. They don't see it. The veil is down over our eyes sometimes that we don't realize that we continue to court the same bag of goods. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Expecting a different result, right? A different outcome, mm. right? Yeah. And uh, so that's very powerful. You know, listening audience, this is the first I've had a counselor on the show. And so I'm sure that they are going to really remember these these stories because it's not often that we get to have an insight because a lot of people are afraid to go to and get help. They, they would rather bury it down than share a part of them. Do you find that with your practice? When they come in, they're such a ball of nerves that they, they almost can't, they don't know where to start. Yes. I, I do have that experience sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that sometimes contributes to that for some people yep. is their culture. Oh, right. Dictates in a sense. Again, you know, if you go to a counselor, yes. it means you're crazy or sick. Yeah, there's a bad history, uh, right, with that. Yes. So mm-hmm. they, they have to overcome that. And we'll talk about that within the first session or two or three. And I always do my best to help them to know that I don't think that way. I, I understand mm-hmm. that that's what they've grown up with. Mm-hmm. And I also give them credit for not letting them not letting that stop them from seeking the help that they needed because they weren't able to resolve their challenges on their own. And I acknowledge what a big step that must be for them to overcome that message they grew up with and still look for the help that they wanted. Mm -hmm. Of course. And do they feel a sense of safety when they can actually go to your home, if you have an office office in your home, instead of a hospital or a clinical situation where other people might see and know? Do you find that your client relaxes sooner because they're in a different environment than a hospital? Sometimes. Sometimes. I've always met with clients in an office. Um, In an office, The last office I had was in a very big office building. And there were one or two people that told me they were concerned that their colleagues would see them going to where they were going. Yes, that's that's what I wondered. 
Yeah, but that's not that hasn't been a big problem that I've okay. encountered with clients. Yeah. You're listening to the Rhonda Grant Show right now, whose podcast has been treated with digital audio health by my sponsor, Symatrax. And today I'm speaking with Alan Simberg. Alan, can you let the audience know how they may reach out to you? Yes, I have two different websites. It's alansimberg.com and lifemasterywithalan.com. Nice. They can also email me. It's alan at alansimberg.com. Can you let people know how to spell Simberg? Sure. It's S-I-M-B-E-R-G. Wonderful. Alan, do you feel that you've been called to your journey, crafted it, or a bit of both? Well, I I think it's a bit of both. Yes. Um, I I definitely think that I was born to do what I'm doing based on the experience I had when I was about seven or eight years of age, hearing my father saying he wanted to help somebody. And I thought immediately I wanted to help. I I want to do that. I want to help people someday. And as a result result of watching that show where that therapist was helping clients and my wondering, how does that person know what questions to ask? And I want to know how to ask those questions too. And then my life experiences Mm -hmm. led me in the direction of what I was doing. It it helped me to continue. It wasn't like I needed to know it anymore. And then in terms of my crafting it, one of the the biggest experience I had, or the most influential experience I had in Mm -hmm. crafting my becoming a marriage and family therapist is when I was a guidance counselor in in a vocational high school, Mm -hmm. one of the things I realized was that I can only help the students so much and their families needed to be involved. And that's when I learned, wow, if you become a family therapist, you could also work with families. Exactly. So that's all the experiences that I had that contributed. And then, of course, each experience I had along the way, it just brought me closer and closer to what I'm doing. Sure. Some people, Alan, spend their whole life not knowing what they have come here to do. And to be a seven-year-old child and having that insight, is it's remarkable. It really is. I mean, you know, you're a seven-year-old child. I mean, they're, what grade are they in? Grade two or three, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. a very young mind. Yes, Yes. What extraordinary discovery have you found in your life? You know, it's sort of like, what did you do on your summer vacation? Well, what I did on my summer vacation. So the extraordinary discovery that I made, that I have made in my life, is the importance and the effect that our thoughts have on our behavior. Mm. One One of the ways I learned that was when I flunked out of that college Mm -hmm. and I was given that opportunity to be in night school and take the classes that I had either failed or gotten a D in. Mm -hmm. 
I didn't question. I remember this. Mm-hmm. I didn't question if I could do it. I put all my intention, my attention and intention on doing the best I could. And when I saw that working out by the grades that I got, mm-hmm. I thought, you know, there's something to this idea about our thoughts. What are, oh, yeah. you know, how our thoughts are, that, that was a bit, and I use that discovery today as part of my counseling. I help people to recognize that. And I help them to recognize that they can do what they don't think they can do. Yes. And do you find that when people are saying the same thing over and over and over, getting those thoughts to themselves because they they repeat them so many times, they don't realize it's affecting their day-to-day existence? Yes. I think sometimes if a person can record how they respond to things and how they talk, and then listen to themselves, they'd say, geez, I didn't realize that I was that negative or whatever. And you can do it for positive reasons too, right? You can do it if you're positive and you want to make your message more clear. But I find that our self-talk and what we can say of our mouths dictates the type of experience we have in life. It's so important. Yes, Don't I you agree? Yes, I agree. And I refer to that as a pattern of repeating the same thing over and over again to ourselves, which then contributes to us believing what we're saying and what we're thinking. And oh, when right. People, yes. And when people keep repeating the same thing over and over again to themselves, they believe it. Oh, Yes. So what I do is I suggest a different way to think about those things. And as the people start to change their thoughts, they notice that their behavior changes and they start to accomplish the goals that they want to accomplish. Yes. Fantastic. What a great teaching. Along with that, I mean, is conscious awareness. And that's why if you are not living the true life that you should be living, you need to reach out to Alan so that he can reflect back to you exactly what you're saying and help you to change those thoughts so that you may have a better day, a better life. Right, Alan? Yes. The the only thing that I have to add about reaching out to me is I can answer a few questions, but if anyone wants to become a client, I'm only meeting with clients virtually. Right. And I can only meet with clients that live in Texas or New Jersey. Right. And that's a licensing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's because you're licensing. So there you have it. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about before we wrap up the show? Well, one other quick thing I want to mention is that uh, I have a self-published book. And the name of the book is Back to Living. Yes. And it, it's it's about how people can manage their recovery either after they've finished inpatient treatment or even if they haven't been in inpatient treatment. It, it helps them to know how to manage their recovery. It also can help them to determine if they want to be in recovery. Right. Okay. And, I and also, what's the, 
Okay, the name of the book is Back to Living. Back to Living. Back to Living. I also have an e-learning program. They're both on my website, lifemasterywithallen.com. So if anyone's interested, even just Uh looking to see what it's about, that's perfectly okay. Yes. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been delightful. I love hearing your stories, and you have contributed to so many people's lives. And we only touched the surface of what you're doing for humanity. So I really appreciate that. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your show, Rhonda, and also to be able to provide information to your listening audience that could be helpful to them. It's just wonderful. What a great service. Thank you. Thank you, Alan. Theme song for the Rhonda Grant Show is Sun on the Water, composed and performed by my friend John Park Wheeler. This is Rhonda Grant with the Rhonda Grant Show, author of Magical Forces Within, Extraordinary Discoveries in an Ordinary Life, inviting you to look for the magical forces within yourself today and every day. Thanks for tuning in to the Rhonda Grant Show with your host, Rhonda Grant. If you would like to find out more information about Rhonda and her upcoming guests and the work that she does, go to her website, rhondagrantauthor.com. That's rhondagrantauthor.com. Digital Audio Health by Cymatrax.